Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm so happy that you're listening in today. In fact, if you're listening in for the first time or you'd just like to reach out, send me an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. What is worship? Is it singing songs, reading scripture out loud, coming together in a crowded but dimly lit worship center, praying in a stained glass cathedral? I'm sure that word worship evokes some very specific images for you. But worship isn't about your expectations. Let's look at what worship is in today's message with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Good morning. Go ahead and be seated. If you are a guest, first time here, there's a connect card in front of you in the seat. If you want to pull that out, we'd just love to get some information for you from you so we can get some information to you about Capital City and make sure you pay attention to the back side of the card as well. And if you just want to drop that, there's some connection boxes as you're exiting the room at the end of the service. Just drop in one of those boxes or hand it to someone with one of those red badges. You're back. How cool is that? Did you know that last Easter Sunday... Last week was the biggest Sunday ever here at Capital City Christian Church. We had 1,500 people choose to celebrate Easter with us here at Capital City, which was incredible. And it was a great worship service. It really was. And we had three baptisms on Easter Sunday, which is so cool. And we wrapped up the series that we've been in since January, Making a Messiah. In fact, we believe that Easter is kind of the coup de grace, the whole case. When God raised Jesus from the dead, God was telling us with crystal clarity, Jesus is my son, and he's not a liar, and he's not a lunatic. He is your Lord. Don't you dare blow him off. And pretty much our Easter services were our attempt to tell God, yes, sir. But what's that mean practically? And I acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I've accepted him as my savior because I acknowledge that I need one. I have called him my Lord, my master, my God. Have you? What's that mean? If we're going to make it more than just words, because words are cheap. What does it really mean? Well, at its most basic, it means this. It's not about you. It's not about me, and it's not about you. About 20 years ago, a great pastor named Rick Warren wrote a powerful little book called The Purpose Driven Life. Here's how he opens the book. He said, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, even your happiness, which is kind of rude to some people, isn't it? He says it's far greater than your family, your career, even your wildest dreams and ambitions which kind of flies in the face of what you hear almost every single day. He says, if you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you have to begin with God. You were born by his purpose for his purpose. You buy that? Well, if you call Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord, you do. It's not about you. And if that is true, you will never, ever, ever be content as long as you live like it is about you. You see, most people live for way too little. Our lives are too small. As long as my life is all about me, I'm going to live a petty little life. But if it's about him? 
Now, there's a phrase that we use here at Capital City Christian Church periodically. It's, it's about doing life with God, for God, God's way. We want to do life with God, for God, God's way. And again, that is flat out countercultural. Because what we hear them tell us all of the time is it's my life. It's about what I like, what I want, what I need. That's not our way. Jesus following is about doing life with God, for God, God's way. It's a fundamental shift in trajectories. Changes how we do life. Affects everything. What do you think it looks like in a marriage to do life with God, for God, God's way? Think it would change the way some of you husbands treat your wives? Some of the way you wives treat your husbands? I guarantee it. By the way, we're going to be exploring that a little bit the week after Mother's Day. We're going to do a small series on the family. What do you think it looks like for parents to do life with God, for God, God's way? Or for kids, because this goes for kids too, doesn't it? A kid is supposed to do life with God, for God, God's way. <coughs> Excuse me, do you think it might change the way parents treat their kids? Maybe the way kids treat their parents would revolutionize our families. What do you think it would look like if we applied this at school or at work to do life with God, for God, God's way? I'm pretty sure that if we actually tried living it out at school, living it out at work, that we'd look pretty weird, but we'd make good friends, good neighbors, good colleagues. Do you think it would change the way we use our money to do life with God, for God, God's way, or the way we spend our free time, or the way we treat our friends, our neighbors? even our enemies. You see, guys, we buy it. It's not about me. It's not my life. It's not about what I want, what I like, what I need. I don't want to settle for a petty little self-absorbed life. It's about doing life with God, for God, God's way, the kind of life you and I were created to live. Because guys, there really are only two options. It's either, it's my life, it's about me, what I like, what I want, what I need, or it's about doing life with God, for God, God's way. Be honest, which one of those options is gonna make your life better? Which one of those options is gonna make you better at life? Well, that stuff kind of sets the table for where I wanna go this morning, but it's, not the main theme. I want us to think about worship. About worship. 1,500 of us gathered here last week to do what? To worship? Did we get it done? Probably about eight or 900 people will gather here today to do what? To worship? Are you gonna get it done? What's that mean? What's it look like? Now, I'm going to slip back into my professor mode for a few minutes. I wasn't trained to be a preacher. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? I was trained to teach. I was trained to teach the Bible. And I did that for quite a few years until they fired me because that was too controversial. That's how I ended up here. Anyway, part of the rhythm of doing life with God has always been weekly corporate worship. Now, you can worship God all by yourself. In fact, you're supposed to worship God all by yourself. But 
part of God's design is that every one of us, God followers, Jesus followers, gathers together for weekly corporate worship. We get together to give him the honor and the praise that he deserves and to put ourselves in a place where we are more receptive to his nudges and his niggles. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old way of doing life with God, for God, God's way, it was the Sabbath day. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ten. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sabbath is just the Hebrew word for seventh. That's all it means. It's the seventh day. It's Saturday, our Saturday. So for thousands of years, Jews all around the world have been gathering on Saturdays to worship God. That's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old way of doing life with God, for God, God's way. For us Jesus followers, it's different. It is Sunday. It's Sunday, the first day of the week. You know why? Because of Easter. Sunday's the day our Messiah rose from the dead. So we started calling Sunday the Lord's Day. That was our phrase for it. And the early Christians started meeting together every Lord's Day, every Sunday, to remember and to worship. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it was Saturday. The New Testament, the New Covenant, it's Sunday. We didn't pick Sunday because it's on the weekend. We picked Sunday because that's the day the world changed. That's the day our Christ won our freedom. So we've set that day aside. And ever since that day, <coughs> excuse me, on the first day of every week, we Jesus followers cluster together to give God the honor and the praise that he deserves and to put ourselves in a place where we are more receptive to the nudges and the niggles of his spirit. And this is huge to us. Listen to what we're told in our New Testament. This is part of the new covenant with God. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm because God can be trusted to keep his promises. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work because we need that kind of motivation to stay that way. And then it says this, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Don't neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. It's a part of doing life with God, for God, God's way. It's a part of Jesus following. We worship God outside these walls on our own because he deserves it. And we make it a priority to get together on the first day of every week to do what? Now, a lot of people who call themselves Jesus followers just don't buy it. They really don't. They don't see it as a big deal. I think because they don't get it. It's a cultural trend right now. More and more people are pushing God away and more and more Jesus followers are pushing away weekly corporate worship, especially our kids. It doesn't take a lot of digging to see the trends. The Jesus followers who used to go to church three or four times a week have cut it back to two or three times a, or uh, three or four times a month have cut it back to two or three times. Those who used to go two or three times a month have cut it back to one or two and so on. Churches actually have to keep growing just in order to stay even on their attendance. So most churches, most churches are falling back in part because we've forgotten why we're here. We've forgotten. Corporate worship isn't about me. It's not about what I need, what I like, what I want. 
It's about doing life with God, for God, God's way. And I'm not talking about religion. You see, I think most Jesus followers see Sunday church as religion. They see it as kind of an obligation. They're thinking, a lot better things I could be doing, but this is one of those boxes that I have to check off, I guess, if I'm going to be a Jesus follower. We treat it like it's a duty, an ought, a should, a chore. It's a beautiful day. I could be fishing, playing golf, or it's a dreary weekend. I could be in bed, or I could use a little family time. Because usually, usually when we go to church, we don't worship. We've lost the mystery. We sing the songs, we pray the prayers, we listen to some guy who sometimes doesn't seem like he knows when to quit. We don't worship. Now, when I teach people about God, I usually teach them some big words. They mean a lot, I guess. God is transcendent. God stands above. He's not part of creation. He's completely apart from anything else in creation. And God is imminent. He didn't just create the world and then sit outside looking at it disinterestedly. He actually is active inside of his creation every single day. And God is omniscient, which means that God knows everything that is knowable. And God is omnipotent, which means that God can do everything that is doable. And God is omnipresent, omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere. There is nowhere that God is not. There's nowhere that you've ever been where God wasn't there. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we believe that. And in fact, when you become a Jesus follower, we believe that God plants his Holy Spirit inside of you. And so he's even with you in a more intimate way. He's with you all of the time. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just getting over something. He's with you 24-7. Do you actually buy that? Now, if that's so, if you actually do, what does it mean when it says, when two or three of you gather together as my followers, I'm there? <laughs> well, duh. He's omnipresent, right? But it's Jesus talking. And he says, where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there. I'm with you. Of course he is. He's everywhere. In fact, if you're a Jesus follower, he's inside of you, right? So what's he saying? What more is he talking about here? You see, guys, I think he's saying that when Jesus followers cluster together as Jesus followers, something special happens. It really does. Have you ever been to a church service that actually morphed into worship? You ever been there? Felt that? Have you ever done it? Have you ever transformed a church service into worship? Because in reality, that's on you, isn't it? Now, we were talking about this stuff last Monday in our worship planning meeting when Tater mentioned a phrase that I hadn't heard before. He talked about thin places, thin places. I hadn't heard the phrase, so I went digging a little bit about it. And apparently, early Celtic Christians talked a lot about thin places. There are other people who talk about thin places too, but I'm not as interested in how the pagans use it. Christians would say something like this. They would say heaven and earth are about three foot apart, but in thin places, it's way, way closer. There are some places, some contexts, some environments that draw us into the presence of God. We become aware of how close God really is. 
it becomes very clear that there is something way bigger, way more powerful right in our presence. And I know that it works differently for different people. To some extent, it's in the eye of the beholder. And I'm not talking about places that are just extra beautiful or are inspiring. Talking about places that stir in us the reality of the presence of God. He's in the room. Do you believe that right now he's in the room? He's here. And if you believe that, does it blow your mind? And does it put everything else in your life back into perspective? Do you think he's here? Guys, when two or three are gathered together in a name, his name, this is supposed to become a thin place for us. We are supposed to become more aware of the presence of our God, to let him blow our minds, to let his presence put everything else in our life back into perspective. Did you know that in this room, we kiss God and God kisses us back? Now, I know that there's nothing special about this room. It's just chairs and drywall and concrete. Just where we Jesus followers gather to worship our God every week. There's just tap water over in that baptistry. There's nothing special about it. But something magical happens in those waters. I'm not talking about a Harry Potter kind of magic. I'm talking about some place where God and man interact. <laughs> these worship stations around the room, you see these little trays and it's got little pieces of stale cracker, little tiny cups with a little bit of grape juice in it. And sometimes that grape juice tastes like it's starting to turn over to the dark side, doesn't it? And when we eat that bread and drink that cup, something magical happens. It's not just about remembering what he did. It's not about tasting grace. It's literally about sitting down at table with our God. Sitting at table with our Lord. He's in the room. He's at the table. It's a thin place where we do life with God. It's a big deal. Two parts to worship. One part is what we give to God and the second part is what he gives to us. It's a dialogue. We get so messed up. You know, most people kind of think that going to church is like going to a show, right? Most people think that you guys are the audience and as members of the audience, you're kind of hoping you're going to like the show. Hoping you like the music. You keep hoping that I'm not too boring. You hope that this thing won't go too long. You've got things to do. When we're done, you're going to give us your grades. Music was okay. I'll give it a seven today. Sermon is a 10. It's always a 10. Capital city, right? We get you out pretty much on time. Give us a nine for that. Some churches go way too long. People are pretty friendly. The snacks are free. I guess I'll give the environment an eight. Wasn't so bad. <laughs> About 200 years ago, there was a Danish Christian by the name of Soren Kierkegaard who compared going to church with going to a play. And this has been going on for hundreds of years. He says, for most people, the preacher is kind of the lead guy. 
<coughs> excuse me, it's kind of like I'm the star of the show. And all the people around me are the supporting actors. Steve, worship team, tech people are here to give it some pop. Greeters are kind of like the ushers at some big event to serve you. And you guys are the audience. And our job is to give you a good show, right? Kierkegaard says, no, that is so messed up. In reality, he says, we're kind of the coaches up here. We're the prompters. We're the ones who kind of hold up the cue cards for you. You're the actors. And you're performing for an audience of one who's in the room. My preaching partner, Randy, told me that one time he was at a church camp with junior hires, I think. And they told the kids they were going to have a special guest and they wanted to prepare some special music for their special guest. So all the kids got up on the stage and they started working on the special music and they worked on it till they had it just right. And then they had some guy dressed up like Jesus walk into the room, sit down. And they led the kids as they sang for Jesus who sat there and expressed such delight in what the kids offered him. Randy said something mystical happened. They began to realize who they were really singing to and who they were really in the presence of. He's here. He's in the room. And we are gathered here to give him the praise and the honor he deserves and to put ourselves in a receptive place in case he chooses to nudge us. Great worship service isn't about what we do up here, it's about what you do in his presence. Sometimes we start thinking, it ought to be about me, what I want, what I like, what I need. Move me, right? Awe me, feed me, please me, right? Well, what if it's really about him? A way that we do life with him, for him, his way. Would that perspective change what happens in this room? So here's our part. Here's what we do. We gather here every single week to remind ourselves who we are and what we stand for. We need that reminder. We gather here because it reminds us that we're doing life with God, for God, his way. He's here. He's in the room. This becomes one of those thin places for us. When we sing, we sing to him. When we pray, we pray to him. <coughs> If you really believe God is in the room, would it change the way you worship? He's worthy of your praise, you know, all you've got. And if you really believe that God is in the room, would you be humble enough to ask forgiveness for your sins? You've got them, you know. We all do. Would you ask his forgiveness? Would you thank him for his grace? His grace is mind-blowing, isn't it? If the grace of God doesn't take your breath away, you don't get it. And if you believed God is here in this room, would you give yourself to him all over again? We call that submission. In this room, I reaffirm that Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. I tell him that every single time I go to one of these worship stations and receive the Lord's Supper and give him my first part back. 
And if you really believe that God is here in this room, would you thank him again and again and again for every single good thing in your life? Because it's all from him, you know. Well, he's in the room. And it's not about you. It's not about me. We're not here to please you or to please me. We're here in the presence of God to please him really doesn't matter whether it pleases me. It really doesn't matter whether it pleases you. You buy that? And that's just half the dialogue. It's not even the coolest part. (laughs) There's some people that I have a hard time talking to. You? Sometimes because they do a whole lot more talking than they do listening. You ever talk to a person like that? All they want to do is talk and they never want to listen. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you talk way more than you listen. It's hard for people to talk to you. I've been in a lot of meetings where just one or two guys, they dominate the whole conversation because everything that comes to their mind, they think that they've got to say. (laughs) So they just keep going and they just wear you out. Kind of think that everything they think needs saying. It doesn't. There's a verse that I think a lot of us need to memorize. James 1.19. It says, you must be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. Listen quickly. Speak slowly. And don't get angry. What if, what if that applies to our life with God? What if that applies to our prayers? What if this applies to our worship? Have you ever tried laying this over? Worship. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slow to get angry with God because we do get so frustrated. Hmm. Most of us kind of think of worship as a monologue. We do the talking and we hope God is listening. God, keep attentive. We're talking to you. But what if God isn't just listening? What if he's also trying to whisper to us? See, God's working on us all the time. God is always tweaking. You see, God God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. So he's tweaking you. He's trying to nudge you towards what he means you to be. But God tends to be very gentle. God tends to be quite shy, at least for now. He allows us to cooperate with him or he allows us not to. He rarely raises his voice with us, at least for now. He won't force himself on us. So he lets us still him with our chatter, with our busyness and with our squirrels. See, we get so busy. We get so noisy. We get so easily distracted that we don't hear God easily. I've got things to do, places to go, people to see, games to play. I'm busy, God. I'll give you five. No, that's four. That's enough. Well, on the first day of every week, Sundays, we Jesus followers remember who we are and what we stand for. On the first day of every week in this room, we set aside the distractions. We turn off the noise. We close our appointment books. And we listen for his nudges. Hmm. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to silence your phones and ignore the notifications that you've got a new email or a new tweet or a message or whatever. Even when you know that none of that matters as much as his whispers. He's in the room. 
Have you ever listened for his conviction of your sin and asked his forgiveness? Have you ever heard his challenges for you to lean in? Have you ever felt his encouragement and his grace? You see, worship is about putting ourselves in a receptive place where we can listen. It's not just about talking at God. It's a quieting of ourselves in his presence. Whether or not he chooses to niggle or nudge, that's on him. He's God. We're not. Our job is to be receptive. You see, worship, real worship requires a profound humility. Sometimes those people who enter this room are kind of like, I dare you, God. I dare you to move me today. You ever like that? Go ahead. Try to make me worship. Hmm. Or I hope they do something today that I like, right? Ever been there, done that? Well, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about giving him the honor and the praise that he deserves and about putting ourselves in a receptive place should he choose to nudge because he's here. He's in the room. Whether you feel him or not, he's here. He's in the room. Whether you're stirred by him or not, he's here in the room. And someone in this room needs his touch. Someone near you needs his touch. Don't you dare get in the way. Don't you dare hinder someone else in the room from receiving their nudge or their niggle from God. Do you know how amazing it is to be called into his presence? In the prophet Habakkuk, he put it like this. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Hmm. Moses put it like this. He says, God is going to fight for you, but you've got to be still. King David put it like this. He says, be still. Be still. Shh. And know that I'm God. And that's what worship's about. So imagine what it would be like if a whole bunch of us transformed this church service into worship. Not religion, but worship. It would feed something deep in your soul. And being here wouldn't feel like such a chore, such a duty, such a, a should, an ought, an obligation. Imagine what would you would feel like if, maybe not you, but someone near you. Imagine what would it would feel like to see someone near you touched by God, nudged by God, and you helped to make it happen. It's pretty easy for a lot of Jesus followers to blow off church. But what happens if this really becomes a thin place? If it's way bigger than just church.